It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. This week, I'm joined by a former U.S. congressman and federal prosecutor who also happens to be a New York Times bestselling author. Trey Gowdy is the host of Sunday Night in America on the Fox News Channel and the Trey Gowdy Podcast. He is a proud South Carolina native. He's a husband, father, and an extraordinary speaker. And I have to say one of my dearest friends, and I'm honored to know him. He is a man of great wisdom, and his latest book, Start, Stay, or Leave, is definitely proof of that. Trey Gowdy, you are the author of Start, Stay, or Leave, The Art of Decision-Making. I loved every page of this book. I have dog ears on almost every page, meaning that I felt something was important because you write so well with efficiency so that your words really pack a punch. And maybe let's start with your decision to write this second book and start, stay, or leave. Is that how you frame your decision-making and thinking? Well, first of all, thank you. You are uh, among the bigger sources of encouragement in my life. I thought the book was kind of average to slightly below average until you told me that it was good. And then that changed my whole thinking on it. So thank you, because I value your opinion more than I do my own. I I was never really a self-help kind of reader. I got a ton of friends, uh, you know, Tim Scott's, you know, never, he can't walk by a self-help book without getting it and reading it. But (laughs) it it was, um, you know, you get to a point in life and you kind of wonder, how did I wind up where I am? And it's the source of decisions made or unmade. And it was kind of my wife's prompting me to, you know, if your goal your whole life was to be a federal judge, And you made all these decisions to put yourself in a position to do that. And yet when it was offered, you said, no, I mean, people might want to know why they they may be pursuing something that ultimately doesn't meet their expectations. So the start, stay, leave part. um, Yeah, I guess life does come down to do I do I stay where I am, which sounds kind of anticlimactic and not exciting. Do I venture the thing that prompted me the most, I think, Dana, was this this workable paradigm when we are confronted with decisions and and we have to have our own. Mine just happens to be what is the worst thing that can happen. And that is a byproduct of my fear of failure, um, being um, fearful in general, just growing up with different fears and phobias. So I like to focus on what's the worst thing that can happen. But I got other friends that are oblivious to the worst. All they focus on is the positive, the success. It's got to be right for you, but everyone needs a paradigm from which they make their decisions. And I find that a lot of people want to know, well, a few things, but this one's coming to mind. So let's just start there. 
I remember at a Minute Mentoring event one time, this young woman raised her hand and she asked a question, when do you know it's time to leave a job? And the four expert panelists that I had, I shouldn't say experts, but they were the mentors, all the panelists said, wow, that's a great question and really had to think it through. And each of us had kind of a stumbled our way through a bit of an answer. One of the answers I'll never forget was from Evan Ryan, who said that when she was asked to go from the White House office when she worked for Vice President Biden to then go to the State Department, she was quite comfortable. She loved her job working for Vice President Biden, had no plans to leave. It never occurred to her to pursue something else. And this opportunity came to her. And she went and found one of her mentors. And that woman said, well, when you go to work every day, do you feel like you're just about to drown? Like, is the water line just under your chin? And she said, oh, no, 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 not at all. And the woman said, well, then you have to leave. And that was her <laughs> advice. And I always kind of think about that. Like, I feel like I'm drowning every day. So I'm, I'm good on that one. But I did love how you write in the book about making this decision on, on when is a good time to leave a job. And it's okay to stay sometimes. You know, it, it, it's, um, it is the least exciting part. It's almost like a resignation that um, because the newness and fresh starts and, you know, moving to a new town. The, what I found, at least in my own life, is when I was tempted to leave a job or tempted to move to a new house or a new neighborhood, what I was really trying to change was going to follow me because it was me. That was what my dissatisfaction was. It, it wasn't with the work. It wasn't with the number of bedrooms or bathrooms. There was something that I found wanting in my own life. And I thought a change of scenery would benefit me. Uh, I loved being in the courtroom, Dana. I loved it, loved it, loved it. But sometimes what you love extracts too heavy a toll, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally, and it's just not constructive to stay and the other thing, the order I've gotten, I wish I knew this when I was you know, in my 20s or 30s. If you have an idea of what you want to be, and I want to be careful saying this, the reality is very few people are going to remember me when I'm gone. Very, very, very few people. So I don't know that I can control the quantity, but I can control what they remember, the quality of the thought. So what do I want people, the two or three people that five years after I'm gone say, you know, I miss that old man. What are they going to think? And is this change going to get me closer to that desired kind of closing argument, that summation? Money is not, you know, you have to have a certain amount of it. Um, that is, uh, <laughs> at least for me, not not the right reason to make decisions on whether or not to stay or leave or start something else. I like variety. Um, I'm really lucky right now. I get to think about sports one minute. I get to think about politics one minute. I get to talk to you about books. So that is appealing at this stage of life. The staying where you are I mean, Dana, have you ever have you ever like wanted a job or applied for a job and you lacked experience? That's of what course. they told you. OK. The and I hear that a lot from some of these younger people that come to me, like they'll be very frustrated. They definitely feel they're ready to move on after two years to like a new job. 
but every job that they think they want to get requires four to five years of experience. So they feel like they're in this gap, where experience gap, I guess, where they're champing at the bit to get going, and yet they can't get through their resume, through whatever algorithms there are now, or for people to take them seriously because that time frame hasn't exactly fit their lives. And, and as boring as it sounds, the only way to get that experience that they say you need is oftentimes to stay. And and it's not I, I mean, I've, I've gotten to where when I look at resumes, if I see a lot of movement, even if it is like um, incrementally higher movement, it catches my attention that they're it, it's almost like we want people to be. Ambitious, but not overtly so. Mm-hmm. Almost covertly ambitious. <laughs> and there's something to be said for not leaving at every perceived better opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, consistency, dependability, commitment. Those are all laudable characteristics that you really can only get by staying. We'll be right back with more of this interview after this. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. I also love the story in the book that had to do with my home state of Colorado. <laughs> Would you mind telling people of how, how it came to be that you and I were almost in the same state? Oh my lord! Uh, and you have to obsession. tell the part at the very end of that of that story. You have to tell that part, or I will. Obsession, Dana. Obsession. I just had in my head that I was going to be a federal prosecutor, and and I, it was. It's just I was, you know, obsessed is probably uh, a clinical term, so I don't want to use that one. But it was really. Um, I just had my mind made up. I'd clerk for a federal judge. I didn't want to work for a big law firm, although you know, most people would pick that over being a federal prosecutor. I wanted to be a federal prosecutor. And ironically enough, the Republican U.S. attorney in South Carolina wouldn't even give me an interview. I mean, not that I remember. I don't want anybody thinking I've carried a grudge. Not that I I mean, it's only been 40 years. Of course, I <laughs> don't remember it, but it wouldn't even give me an interview. So I sat in the floor of this townhouse that my wife and I were renting. And I wrote U.S. attorneys throughout the country just trying to get. And again, I was running into the experience. I'd clerk for a federal judge. My grades were OK, but I had no prosecutorial experience. And I get this 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 call back for a phone interview with the United States attorney's office in Colorado. And I have the phone interview and I thought it went pretty well. And they said that the criminal chief who would have been my boss says, we want you to come to Colorado for an in-person interview. And I think to myself, this is the closest I've ever been. I mean, I passed the phone interview. They want to see me in person. I somehow scrounged the money, probably selling my wife's jewelry, but I scrounged the money up to buy a ticket to go to fly to Denver, direct flight from Atlanta, get down there, sitting at the gate. And I just had and, fl- and the flight was delayed. It was delayed. That's the delay. God. That's that is the detail in your writing that makes it such a great book, because that delay did what? It gave me time to think. Mm-hmm. It gave me time to think 
sometimes the most basic questions, which are, what in the world are you doing? South Carolina has been your home your entire life. It is your wife's home. You are newly married. You have a child. Your parents are here. Your wife's parents are here. Your church is here. Your friends are here. And you are going to give all of that up to go to a state that you probably can't find on a map where you know literally no one. So you can tell people, and this is the other part, how much of it was I wanted the job versus how much I wanted the title. And that's something people have to ask themselves. Do you want the job or do you want the title? I I thought I wanted the job, but I knew I wanted the title, assistant United States attorney, federal prosecutor. And I'm sitting there and I lean my head back on the seat at the gate and I'm staring up at those tiles in the ceiling. And I think, what are you doing, Trey? You are going to put everyone you care about's life on hold, especially your wife, to go to a to a state you have no connection with just so you can. So I got up, I left, I went back to my car, which was hard to find in Atlanta airport and drove in the middle of the night back home. Along the way, I stopped in Greenville, uh, which is where my office was. And I called the person I was supposed to meet and said, I'm so I felt like an idiot, Dana, because, you know, Colorado is the exact same distance away from South Carolina as it was when I accepted the interview. So but I felt like I needed to tell him something. So I said, I just, you've been talking over my wife. It's just so far away from home. It's not a good spot for me. I felt like an idiot mm-hmm. leaving that message. Um, he wound up being a colleague of mine in Congress. Ken Buck was the criminal chief in Colorado. He does not remember. Thank God he does not remember some kid calling him who just figured out that Colorado was nowhere near South Carolina. But I got back home and I tried to, you know, quietly get back in the bed. But my wife woke up and I just said, I can't do it. I, I do. I want to do it. Yes. Do I want this title, this job? Yes. But I can't do it at the expense of everyone and everything else I care about. And it was a sad night. It was almost like, you know, this dream is gone. And I don't know that it was 18 months later that a Democrat became the U.S. attorney in South Carolina because Bill Clinton was elected. And it was the Democrat U.S. attorney, Pete Strong, who gave me an interview and wound up hiring me, even though I was not a member of his political party. He should not have hired me, but he took a chance on me. So it worked out. It worked out. And it it cost me 18 months, which in the grand scheme of things is nothing. Mm-hmm. And it did not cost me explaining to my parents and my parents-in-law and my wife why I prioritized a job, a title, over something exponentially more significant, which are familial ties and being home. Yeah. And in that regard, it reminded me of everything will be okay. You just might not see it in the moment. And I think you write very openly about fear in your book. And I love how you describe it as letting it sit beside you in the passenger seat, but not in the driver's seat. How long did it take you to come to that? Oh, 
till yesterday, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I know. Uh, we learn it over and over again, right? Uh, I mean, the conversation actually came up. We have a son that's getting married, and he and his fiance I want my wife to go uh, out of town with them to Virginia to look at some venues. And I looked at her and said, well, who's staying with me? I mean, I can't stay at home by myself. You know that. And she said, you're, you're 58 years old. Trey, we have a home security system. It's not like we live in Mehadine, Columbia. I mean, you'll you'll be fine. I still do not like staying by myself at night. Did that? Were you like that before you were a prosecutor, though, and would have been a target? No, right. no. Okay. It, it 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 it's you become what you think about and what you see. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my wife, I don't think knows we have an alarm system. I don't can't remember the last time she deadbolted. Because on the Hallmark Channel, people don't do things to one another. Mm-hmm. And every file I saw for almost two decades, they do. So that fear I can manage because uh, I can go check into a hotel or I can go stay with my parents. or I, I can manage that fear. The fear of failure, public failure, um, that one... I don't know, Dana. I do know people that are motivated. All they think about is success. They think about what winning is going to look like. And then I think of others like myself who never think about what winning looks like. They're just so scared of losing. That is what motivates them. The fear of disappointing people, letting people down, being considered a failure, a loser, I was actually talking to Tim Scott, giving him what I know to be sound advice. I just can't take it for myself, which is losing and failing are two entirely different things. I mean, say you run for something and you're not successful. Who says that's failing? Mm -hmm. So I know I know the right answer. I know that there's a huge difference. Failing and losing is not trying. It's not venturing. It's not taking a risk. It's just we're. Some of us, I think, are just motivated by this fear of being perceived as failing. And you're right. It, it can drive the car of your life or it can sit beside you. And if you're lucky, you can turn it into caution, which is a good thing. It makes you slower to move, uh, slower to speak slower to hop on social media and express your opinion it it's it's caution it's restraint that's good Mm. and and i'm glad that it you know rides in my truck with me and tells me you know you probably shouldn't try to make this yellow light probably shouldn't when did you realize that being a member of congress wasn't for you so like on the first day you got there or over time I it took it was the first term because I just didn't I don't know it, it, it the work was not what I thought it would be although in my defense I'd never served in a legislative body so I didn't have like a great idea it, running for Congress was an honorable exit for me Dana it got me out of where I was and I thought that in the eyes of the public. In the eyes of my family, it was an honorable way to leave the courtroom. It's better than just saying, look, I'm tired of seeing dead pictures of dead children. I'm just it's ruined my faith instead of having that conversation. 
I just, people said, okay, well, he's going, going from being a prosecutor to a member of Congress. That's a natural progression. It wasn't to me. It was an honorable way to get out of where I was. So it didn't take long for me to realize that th- that's really not a good reason to leave a job. I, it may be a good reason to leave, but, but maybe I picked the wrong place to go to. I shouldn't have run for Congress. I should have gone into private practice or maybe taught at law school or or a local university. It, it was and I do write I write about honorable exits. We need we need a way to get out of where we are and we want it to not be a step backward. The lateral steps are unavoidable, I think, in life, but we don't want to be perceived as going backwards. So again, how much of what how much do we let other people define success? And to me, leaving the district attorney job to go to private practice would have been in the eyes of others uh, a letdown. Um, it would have been a step backwards. N- now, at this point in life, I, I define that for myself. Other people don't get to tell me what a step backwards is. Well, let me ask you this. A lot of people will ask me, not as much anymore, but they used to. But it, now I think that if, if a recession is on the horizon, you, you tend to see people think, now would be a good time to go to graduate school for an MBA or to law school. When people are contemplating whether to go to law school, what advice do you give them? Uh, both of my kids went to law school. Uh, one will never practice law. Um, I think, number one, you got to analyze the debt that you're going to take on, if any, and whether or not there's a value for it. It teaches you to think critically. Some people don't need to go to law school to think critically, but some do. I, I, there is merit. What I don't like is when people say, well, I'll be 27 years old when I get out of law school. Because I always say, well, you're going to be 27 years old in three years, whether you go to law school or not. So, I mean, don't. I mean, that, that's just math. You're, you're going to be three years older no matter what you do, whether you work in a mini mart or go to law school. And plus, 27 is hardly old. Mm-hmm. So if you need help thinking, there are certain jobs you cannot do without a law degree. Certain jobs you cannot do. You can never be a prosecutor without a law degree. You can't be a judge, although it's not a constitutional requirement. It's a practical requirement. They're never going to make you a judge if you don't have a law degree. The MBA one is trickier. Um, I tell kids, and I'm sure somebody out there is going to tell me I'm wrong, and maybe I am. Between a law degree and an MBA, I think you can do almost anything you want with a law degree, and you can't necessarily do anything you want with an MBA. Like you can't practice, you cannot practice law with an MBA, but you can go into business with a law degree. Mm-hmm. But I, I also. You know, if you're kind of in a holding pattern, there's a young man that works for Kevin McCarthy named John Legansky. If you watch the speaker's vote, you know, all six months of that, he was sitting right by Kevin the entire time. Went to Stanford. Wonderful young man. I've been begging him to go to law school, begging him to go to law school because he does think critically, and I think he'd be a fantastic lawyer. I mean, here he is, one of the top advisors for the Speaker of the House. Clearly, he doesn't need my career advice. But but I am I have been known to try to encourage 
kids, at least at that season of life, while they have time, before they have other responsibilities, to get as much education as they can because it empowers them. It gives you options, even if you... I mean, a couple of the most successful businessmen in my hometown have law degrees and could not tell you where the courthouse is, Dana. They have no idea where the courthouse is. They've never practiced. Mm -hmm. But something about that law degree must have helped them uh, because they did really, really well. Well, some of the best journalists I know are also lawyers. But I think it's that critical thinking piece that you talked about and also the writing. The writing is so important. Can I mention a former colleague of yours? Oh, sure. God rest his soul. Charles Krautenhammer, mm-hmm. one of the gentlest souls I ever had the pleasure of being around. I, I'm fascinated by what people's dream jobs are because he, he had mine. So I was wondering what his dream job was. It was to be a Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, here's this highly educated man with a medical degree who works harder before seven o'clock in the morning than I do in a month. And he wants really the one job that his academic background would not allow him to be considered for. Mm-hmm. And and he didn't need a law degree. He was such a yeah, critical yeah. thinker. He didn't need a law degree to be a great judge or justice. But I am fascinated by what people want that they don't have or what their dream job would be. For many people, he had their dream job. Yep. He got to sit by Brett Bear and um, and and shed wisdom. Commanded the room. And for those yes. of you new to, to the podcast, the book Charles wrote called Things That Matter is a collection of his writings over the years. And one, read it because it's one of the most enjoyable books you'll ever read. You will learn so much. The writing is spectacular. You'll laugh a lot. But you'll learn so much. It's called Things That Matter. I highly, highly recommend that. More to come right after this. Do you have anything in your life now that you're thinking of starting? Um, well, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I, I am um, probably retiring from what they call the self-help genre. I would love to write a psychological crime drama. I mean, as you know, I mean, you're a be- you're a better writer and a more Mm-mm. prolific reader than I am. Writing fiction versus nonfiction is a whole as another. Language. I don't even know where to begin. I read Vivid so much fiction and I have no idea where to start. I actually did start one time. I was like, wow, this is hard. I don't know how to do this. On the one hand, you never have to worry about being fact checked because you can make it up. <laughs> <laughs> so that is liberating. Nobody's going to say, well, you I mean. You're wrong about this date. Is there a crime that you prosecuted to... that you would like to use as a prompt? Yes, there are a couple. There, there, and there's some that I prosecuted, and then there's some that I was familiar with that my colleagues prosecuted. The one that kind of haunts me, well, they, a lot of them haunt me, but one, this young girl um, walking down to her mailbox to get the mail, uh, never seen again mm. and um, kidnapped by uh, a serial killer in my home state of South Carolina who made her write a goodbye note to her parents mm. uh, before he killed her. Wow. You just imagine the terror in an 11 year old child's right. heart writing a goodbye mm. note in the 
cops when they made the arrest and executed the search warrant uh, found the pen and the pad where he made her write the note and the prosecutor introduced them into evidence and nobody knew why i mean it's a pen and a blank piece of paper because he tore off the top sheet but at the very end the prosecutor encouraged the jury to use that pen to sign their names to the death notice so that the the crime the stranger crime crimes against children that one was done in another county but i i i have probably i don't know may have done 50 homicide cases wow. maybe more than that wow so wow. you borrow bits mm-hmm. and pieces it's also to me the psychological part of it dana is just how the impact that has on the cops and the prosecutors and uh, I just saw we call them coroners in South Carolina. That's who notifies the family when mm-hmm. there's been a traffic accident or fatality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he worked for me when I was the D.A. He's a gregarious guy. He's a really fun guy to be around. But I wonder when the lights go off what he sees. I mean, for the last 25 years, all he's seen is death and had to relay death to loved ones. Yeah, I just wonder what that does to somebody's soul. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to write about that. Um, it will disappoint and shock and sadden my mom and my wife. But I'm fascinated by, well, I'll say this. If I were to ask you, Dana, what's the happiest day of your life? Would you have something in mind? Would you have a day where you just thought, I can't be any happier than this? Oh, a couple come to mind, yeah. And I I try to remember those moments because I like to capture that serenity. But when you feel like you're living in the moment, it's so rare. When you think you're not worried about what's going to happen an hour or two weeks from now or two years from now, and you're not dwelling on anything in the past and you're just in that one moment, those are such precious gifts from God in your life that I, I, I can remember one in particular, when, uh, walking with Peter um, on the Jersey Shore on, a, on that kind of the first warm day of spring. And we had been outside all day. That was when Jasper was with us. And we had just such a special day together that, yeah, I can remember that. And see, I would argue to you that there is a limit to the height that your joy can take you to it, it it's high but there's a limit to how happy or content or joyful you can be and there is no limit on the downside if you and i were to try to construct the saddest day of our life and we could fill in this fact or add this contingency there is no limit to the downside on the equilibrium of emotion mm-hmm. so my wife always says, why do you spend so much time, you know, on the on the sad part? Because that's where the room is. I mean, that's that's where the space is there. We think about the day we got married or the day, you know, our kids graduated high school. Or there, there's just a limit to me on the upside of happiness. I, 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 I think about some of the crime scenes I've seen. And there is just there's there's no floor to the sadness. Yeah, you know our um, colleague 
Trey Yinks recently wrote about this from the perspective of a war correspondent. And he uh, wrote it very openly. And people who are the witness or the prosecutor for crimes that are happening against innocent people, they carry a lot with them. And it's important to be open about that. I'm excited about your pursuit into the world of being an author of fiction because you know fiction that's where I love to live in there I love in that I love that world well you are uh, when I think about maybe taking a break from reading uh, and watching more miniseries uh, your image floats through my head and my fear <laughs> my fear of you asking me what are you currently reading and my response being Sports Illustrated and you being hey, that's disappointed. Good stuff in there. Well, that, I was going to wrap it up and ask you, what are you currently reading? <laughs> well, and you know what? I can answer because my fear is that you're going to ask me what I'm reading and, it, and I'm going to say I'm not reading anything. And you're going to think, well, gosh, I mean, if you've given up, I'm reading The Water Dancer right now. Okay. Which, um, is wonderful. I'm not that far into it. I I need someone like you to motivate me, a fear of you asking me and there being no answer, or there are people I used to work with that will say, pick a book, let's read it together, we'll get together for lunch and talk about it, and that's what motivates me to go pick up my next book. What is this book about, The Water Dancer? Uh, thus far, it is about... Um, a, they call them the, the tasked, um, but everyone else would call them slaves, mm -hmm. uh, slave in Virginia that um, remarkably gifted, remarkably talented, has already seen his mother sold off. And he is uh, at right now in the book trying to figure out whether or not it is worth the risk to try to run away Um he um, his father is the plantation owner. So it's okay. a plantation owner that um, that had a child uh, with they call them tasked in this book, not okay. slaves. OK, but it is beautifully written so far. And um, it is, again, under the heading of I will never know what any of that feels like mm -hmm. unless somebody else tells me. Mm hmm. Well, that's why we read. Um, I am reading a book that I should have read years ago, but I, I never book shame, right? I'm not going to do it to myself. I never read Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, and I am reading it now. I'm on chapter three. So I will tell you how and it Tell me what that's night. about, because I haven't read it either. Well, it seems to me that it's about a woman who becomes, I don't even... I'm just, you know, I didn't read too deep into the back page. I, it was recommended to me by a, a Pilates instructor, actually. I asked her what her favorite book that she recommends is. She studied literature, and she said, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And I mentioned it to Peter, and he said, oh, I think I read that in high school. It's probably required reading over there. Um, she became Dame Daphne du Maurier, very famous for her writing, and it's a slice of life of, I think, early 1800s England, maybe late 1800s. Um, and a woman who remarries or marries a man who had a wife before. And I think her name was Rebecca. I could be totally screwing this up. I'm only on chapter three. <laughs> I'm working on it, though. I'm working on it. Can I give you one when you're done with that? Yeah, please. Because the word Rebecca 
The, I think there's a book called The Key to Rebecca by Ken Follett. Did you ever read any Ken Follett? Oh, once. Yes. Yes. The Pillars of the Earth. Is that the guy? Uh, he wrote The Eye of the Needle for sure. Okay. Um, he wrote a trilogy on World War One, World War Two. Oh, yes. I have these. Uh, yes. I know what you're talking about. I can picture them. He also That's wrote what, The Pillars of the Earth, which a lot of people think yes. that that is their favorite book. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, I remember being in the 11th grade English, my teacher, whom I still see, although she will not speak to me in public. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Miss Godfrey Rex said, I got a book I want to recommend for you. I don't know that I'd ever read a book at that point. I read a book on Johnny Bench, but I don't mm-hmm. think I'd ever read another one. And she get put the eye of the needle in my hand by mm-hmm. Ken Follett. Mm-hmm. That was I was 17 years old at the time, 16. And I have read almost everything he's written Oh, that's great when you find somebody like that. But I I am not kidding when I say when I think I'm going to see you or talk to you, I will go start reading because of my (laughs) fear that and I appreciate that you don't shame people. And I know you wouldn't do it on purpose. I just view it as accountability. You're going to ask me if I'm reading anything good and I need to be able to say I am reading more than the Drudge Report. What was that time that we did the podcast together and you were reading, you were like reading like the most difficult book, Crime and Punishment or, was it Crime and Punishment? That's my favorite I was like, what book. Is, I, I was like, I love that book. I got to get you some lighter material. Well, I just, I don't know. I no, th- I'm kidding. I, I actually I like to read sad books too or, or sad things. I, I, I think that understanding and learning through others' experiences, even if they're written in fiction, uh, helps expand my own world. I, I read off an iPad now, um, mm-hmm. and, and I like to read at night. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my wife got up at four o'clock in the morning to go teach school, so she'd go to sleep a little before me, and I'd be sitting there not wanting to have the light on. Yep. And I was reading a book on abnormal psychology, which fascinates me, just syndromes, and and she would not let me read that in the bed. She said, you're going to have to read that somewhere else. You are not, <laughs> re- you are not reading that in the bed I that I am that. sleeping in. I love it. I love it. I, I, I am fascinated by the human mind. And um, I love it when people do good things, as rare as that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, yeah, that's what crime and punishment is, is what guilt does to you. Yep. Um, get away with a perfect crime, but you can't enjoy it because of what guilt does to you. Well, Trey Gowdy, thank you for spending some time with us. I do recommend anybody listening, if you have someone in your life that's like thinking about their next move, a transition, or whether they need to be comforted to know that deciding to stay is a good decision. And for any graduate coming up this spring, please get them this book. It's called Start, Stay, or Leave, The Art of Decision-Making, one of the best books I have ever read in terms of advice and excellent writing with some wonderful anecdotes of your life and your career so far. Trey Gowdy, thank you. Thank you, Dana, and thank you for being a nonstop source of encouragement and wisdom and guidance and counsel. Um, people, People that see you on television, I think they have a sense of what a good person you are and what a kind person you are. Um, it is even better off camera. Oh, thank so you. I'm going to go and try to do better. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can always do better that. in that Good regard. luck with that. Thank good you. luck. All right. You take care. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. 
As you can tell, I loved the book. I think it is mandatory reading for all graduates and anybody who is at a point in their life when they're not sure if they should start, stay, or leave. This book gives you a roadmap to figure out what your next steps should be. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts. Leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Fox News podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.